Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 223 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, well, welcome everybody to another wonderful episode of the most terrific podcast on the internet. <laughs> and as we've said before, go look it up. Okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so the first thing out of the gate, we're just going to talk really briefly about Hamvention because it is coming up very quickly. I think we're, what, 25 days away or something, something along those like lines. That, yeah. It's getting close. Yeah, sure is. It's getting very close. Uh, the GoFundMe campaign is doing well, uh, but we could always use some more help. We're 60.5% of the way there. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty good. But if you can donate, we would really appreciate it. There's only you know 20 some odd days left. Um, but we will be there. I have officially purchased the booth um, and Yay. the internet service and all of that. Sweet. All thanks to donations from our listeners. Thank you, everyone. Uh, so, but there is more to be done. We're getting the distros uh, prepared. We're getting the merch prepared. Uh, we're doing all kinds of preparing. We're preparing. We're preppers. Yes. I just put a set of tires on my car. Ooh. <laughs> what else did I do to the car? God, I did. I did. Uh, oh, I changed out the mass airflow filter or yeah, sensor. Yeah, wow. MAF sensor. And then uh, tomorrow, well, no, Wednesday. Wednesday, my my uh, fuel filter shows up. So I'm gonna be all set, and the diesel's gonna run like a top. I'll get like my 49 or 50 miles to the gallon all nice. the way out there. So, oh, yeah. very good. Very good. So that's that. We don't want to dwell on it too much. Just uh, keep us in mind. If you got 5 or $10, you can send our way. If not, please share on all the social media networks out there and let all your friends know about it. And we will see all of you who come to Dayton this year, or actually Xenia now, not Dayton anymore. Actually, it was never in Dayton. It was in Trotwood, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. It's just the Hamvention. Right. It's the <laughs> Everybody ham-vention. tagged on uh, you know Dayton to it, so. Yes, and Dave, uh, no, I don't need to do an oil change. It's uh, <laughs> it's all synthetic, and the last oil change came with a uh, oil pan replacement. Wow. <laughs> Actually, the last two times I changed the oil, I, I replaced the oil pan because the oil pan had a hole in it. So Nice. <laughs> it's to run oil rather quickly that way. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the stain in the driveway is pretty, pretty large. <laughs> All As right. your wife goes, honey, there's a big black spot in the driveway. What is that? Oh, God. I, there, there was a black stripe from the street all the way to my house. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The last time, last time I got a hole in it, uh, I was picking up my son and I left a huge puddle at their, at his girlfriend's house. And then, yeah, there was a stripe all the way from that side of town to my house. 
Nice. I'm surprised there was so much oil in the car. <laughs> Diesel only a 1.9 have... liter. <laughs> Diesels tend to have a lot of oil in them, though. I know uh, Cheryl's dad had a diesel pickup, and it had how much? It was like, like 12 eight. quarts of oil or yeah, something. In it. something it was like that. it was a lot. Yeah. And if you're lucky, there's like like at least 10 quarts of uh, diesel fluid that actually has gone in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine's only five quarts. It, it is a, it's large for a 1.9 liter, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's five quarts of oil. All right, very good. Well, Bill is all set. He'll make it. Uh, yeah, he we'll, only has we'll 1,600 miles to drive. Yep, and we only have uh, much less than that. And <laughs> we have like, like 600, 750, I don't know, somewhere. Yeah, I just, I just looked it up for Bill. It's 1,560 miles. For us, it is, from here to Xenia, 645 miles. Yeah, nice. so nothing. Drop, yeah. drop in the bucket. Yeah, I just have an extra day of driving, basically. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. All right, so very good. That's a, that's all we need to say about the GoFundMe. The link, of course, is on the website and in the show notes and pretty much everywhere, all over the social media networks. And uh, once again, we will see you out in Xenia uh, in just a few short weeks. So very cool. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about flowers blooming and trees blooming and stuff like that. Anyway, it's amateur radio stuff in the springtime. That's right. Springtime to the field we go. Yeah, I was writing this uh this uh for for our show notes this morning and uh we were getting snowed on. So <laughs> it didn't really feel much like spring except for it was really big flakes. But um but yeah, now that the uh weather is improving, um it's time to think about operating outside. I know this past weekend there was a QRP to the field event and a couple other events uh that require getting out there and and uh you know, taking your station portable. So I kind of wanted to mention a couple of programs out there that you can uh, you can do this and uh, have some fun. Uh, one of the programs is uh, part of the efforts of KX9X. That's uh, Sean Kutzko or Kutzko. I can never pronounce his last name. Sean KX9X. <laughs> he formerly was the AWRL. He did the uh, NPOTA, the National Parks on the Air. There is now just a Parks on the Air. So uh, this is basically a very similar thing. It runs all the time. It uh it has an awards uh, system and everything else. And uh, the number one rule there that at, at, at Parks on the Air is that you and all your equipment that you use need to be within the perimeters of the park, whether that be a federal or state-owned park or state land or, you know, BLM land or, you know, whatever. Uh, as long as it's a registered location on their website, uh, that's, that's what you want to use. So they, they suggest using Google Maps and official park site maps and stuff like that. So that all your stuff is is inside the boundaries of the park, but uh, yeah, there's quite a few people, uh, you know, using this program. A lot of people were excited about NPOTA, and this kind of just kept on, you know, after that that one year of the national parks on the air event. Another good, po- another popular program is uh, Summits on the Air, and Summits on the Air has been uh, carefully designed to make participation possible for all amateurs and shortwave listeners. It's not just for people that are willing to climb a mountain. <laughs> In fact, some states, uh, they have hills and, uh, <laughs> you know, tall precipices uh, in, so they could be included in a uh, summits on the air activation. Um, but, yeah, they need people at home, you know, chasers and spotters, and uh, they also need the people to go up on the mountain. So they have uh, many awards and certificates, and some of them are called, you know, mountain goat, uh, mountain goat, sorry, and a shack sloth. And of course, a shack sloth would be for uh, a chaser. So, uh, and there's always uh, always activity on there. There's a whole spotting system for summits on the air, so you can check that out on their website. And we have that linked in the show notes. 
Very good. Have you done summits on the air? I believe you have. You did some last year, did you not? <sighs> yes. Uh, we I, I participated in one activation in West Virginia at the uh, National Jamboree. It was actually my first summits on the air. I've, I've thought about doing them here. Um, there's just a little bit more involved uh, with logistics here because uh, the, the mountains are huge. <laughs> <laughs> I found a couple of like some some couple of small like not small ones but like shorter hikes so it's only like two and a half miles or something like that into it to get to the uh, activation zone and only two and a half miles yeah that's that's nothing <laughs> gotcha okay. yeah yeah I mean, the easy ones the 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 ones I consider easier to kind of get to that I don't have to drive quite as far are about like a seven mile hike with about two thousand foot of elevation gain so uh yeah those aren't aren't terribly fun to hike but uh, um. They're definitely doable. But, yeah, I found a couple of, uh, of close ones that are like two miles, two and a half miles and less um, off of the uh, Beartooth Highway up in the uh, Beartooths here in the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness at borders between uh, Wyoming and Montana. And I think I'm going to try to do those this summer just as soon as I have time <laughs> and as soon as it's melted enough up there for uh, for that to even occur. Right now they're clearing the snow off the, uh, the Beartooth Pass, which is the – you know, scenic highway that runs up there and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, there's about like, you know, whatever, six, seven foot of snow, eight foot of snow. And <laughs> Yay. yeah, it would be a while for all that melts. Normally, uh, good hiking up in the mountains here is, is, is towards, you know, July and sometimes later than that. So August, September before it starts <laughs> snowing again. Yeah, exactly. And then you could still get snow. That's the thing is like all, all, all summer long, you can still get snow up there. And in fact, you can even get thunder snow storms, which are really crazy. So you get thunder snow here. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try this summer. I've been saying I'm going to try, but this summer I think I have everything I need now. Finally, I'm just going to go do it. Ah, very good. Um, just let us know when you're going to do it so we can all work you. Yeah, I sure will. Very cool. So summits on the air, parks on the air, two things you can uh, participate in all during the spring. And it, did you say when these all wind up or, well, so does all the time, but what about POTA's the all the time now too. So it's a all right. ongoing Very thing, cool. just like IOTA, you know, islands on the air and like houses on the air, that stuff runs all year long. And um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think like your QSOs, like, you know, start up different for each year. You have like certificate awards and stuff like that. All right. Sounds good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Actually, do I even have that anymore? <laughs> you used to. Yeah, I don't have that anymore. I'm going to have to go get that one back. I forgot one. No, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I found this interesting article. Well, a real short article, but it was at the Register, um, which is a UK publication. And it's a, a question and answer that came into the Register. And it was, do ham radios slow Wi-Fi? So I'm going to read this and then we can, you know, potentially discuss, I suppose. Uh, it says, your reader's letter from April 8th claimed that a neighbor's ham radio aerial affects his Wi-Fi. Uh, this is highly unlikely. The Radio Society of Great Britain, RSGB, suggests that neighbors work together. The operator keeps a record of when he is transmitting the reader of when he is having Wi-Fi problems. This will identify whether it is the transmitter at fault or, as is more common, the modem. A common reason for Wi-Fi to deteriorate over time is congestion caused by increased use in nearby homes. This is more likely to be the culprit than amateur radio signals. Um, I tend to agree with this, but I was curious if anyone had ever had occasion to wonder if their Wi-Fi was being affected by ham radio signals. Well, the question is, is it really the Wi-Fi 
or is it the uh, internet connection? And I would gather it's most likely the internet connection that's actually having problems. Uh, in like a cable modem system, there's possibility you'll get ingress where you'll actually get signal from outside into the cable because you have bad fittings or, you know, you have an open lead or something like that in the, uh, in the premise and it's picking up the signal. Or it could be that it's, he's in such close proximity that the piece of wire that, that is running from his house to the pole is the exact same length that needs to be a resonant antenna or a radiator. <laughs> and uh, that you will diminish the signal noise on your cable modem. Uh, a similar thing could happen at least lengthwise with resonance on any type of uh, DSL modem. Generally, those lines are run a little bit longer, so you don't have like shortcuts. Um, but it's still a possibility. Ingress and egress, the cable companies work on that stuff. So like they're looking for signal leaking out of the plant and they're looking for signal leaking into the plant. So they monitor all this stuff. So that shouldn't happen, but it can happen. And normally it's always a customer premise issue where they, you know, they have a cable jack going to a cable box. They've taken the cable box out and they've left that little cable lead out, you know, with that little stub sticking out of mm -hmm. it. Um, believe it or not, that leaks a lot of signal all over the damn place. <laughs> so, and they can hear it out in the street. So think about that. You could be, you know, ruining somebody else's, uh, <laughs> somebody else's Wi-Fi or something like that. Cause, uh, all the cable channels will, you know, basically run all the way into the gigahertz range. Uh, generally not up to 2.4 gigahertz. Most cable plants stop at about, uh, 1.2 gigahertz, but, uh, it, it is possible. It is possible, but it won't affect Wi-Fi. I just, I disagree with that completely, but it will affect your internet connection. It, it, more possibility wise. I think Wi-Fi is just everybody associates Wi-Fi with my internet, but the Wi-Fi is just, you know, one of the connections on your internet connection. <laughs> you know? Right. And the, there's no indication actually in this that it's a DOCSIS type system, that it's cable. So it, it could be something else. It could be a modem connected to DSL as well. Yeah. It could I don't be know anything. how yeah. prevalent cable versus DSL versus, you know, other technologies for internet connectivity is in the UK. So. Right. Now, now, would it affect Wi-Fi? Most likely not. I mean, you know, unless the guy is pointing, you know, let's say a satellite antenna <laughs> directly at your Wi-Fi access point, then maybe, <laughs> you know, it could happen. Yeah. If it's something very close in frequency, absolutely. But, I mean, there's no indication, again, yeah. of You get some what, of those high-end satellite antennas for uh, those guys that do portable setups or whatnot, portable, you know, like on the house with the, you know, azimuth and elevation rotors and stuff like that. I mean, those things can put out, you know, 23, 24 dB of gain, and then they got a brick in front of it. You know, shoot, those things are pushing 2,300 watts <laughs> out the front of the <laughs> antenna at uh, at 70 centimeters. Which uh, in some cases will reboot a uh, a transponder on a uh, on satellite. Some of the older satellites don't like that. <laughs> you have to control your power. You can actually you know reboot the satellite, which pisses everybody else off. <laughs> yeah, because they have such a short time window in the passes anyway. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's I would say it's 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 most likely not, but it it could be a maybe if you just consider the internet portion of it. Right, and this article does suggest doing some diagnostic and trying to determine if it's actually the ham radio signal, and there are a couple of simple things that can be done to determine that. So, yeah, there you go. All right, so moving on from our amateur radio topics tonight, we're going to talk about some open source a little bit, and the first thing is uh, some Ubuntu stuff. Yeah, yeah, we got uh, Ubuntu Linux replaces alpha beta release model with uh, testing weeks. 
And I don't know if this is official yet, but this came out uh, via Fosbytes, picked up a uh, a uh, mailing post from Simon Quigley and in the Ubuntu mailing list where Simon suggests the following that, you know, he's proposing that we get rid of the alpha beta one milestones entirely. We organize a monthly testing week, Tuesday through Thursday, which involves no active, no archive freezes, no formally released ISOs, but testing every product community and canonical. And that is typically ship as part of a final release. So including desktop and server, the goal would be to ensure that any issues that are ironed out early on to foster collaboration between people, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, basically, you know, we went through this iteration of, uh, you know, alpha, alpha, you know, beta, beta two, and then beta final and stuff like that. And I think they kind of want to get rid of that. Maybe like those last few weeks have their testing timeframes and then feel more like a rolling release until they're ready to release. And in theory, they're supposed to test this out with the 18.10 release. So we'll see if this comes into uh, fruition here towards the uh, towards the uh, latter part of the year. All right. Interesting. Big changes in Canonical. Like <clears throat> there haven't always been those. <laughs> <clears throat> we're going to Wayland. Oh, wait, no, we're not. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, we're going to Gnome. No, don't. No, we're not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So let's wake Cheryl up and see if she can read a couple of these flash topics we got in the segment open source for tonight. And I'll wait till she like scrolls down to the appropriate place. That's right here. Oh, excellent. They're the ones so, with the uh, flash on it. Flash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I had already scanned or, you know, scrolled down to. Anyway, well, you so. know, there's this uh, podcast called uh, Linux in the Ham Shack, and they're all very. Uh, it's all good and all, but uh, they could be a little more professional. <laughs> Would you like me to belch or something? Like, oh. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> I could probably Wait, get one no, because later. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I want to be the utmost of the professional. Have another Bud Light Platinum. I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just slam this real quick here. <laughs> there you go. Funnel it. <laughs> go give me a Dr. Pepper. I can belch through the oh, I can yeah. read the whole thing while <laughs> <All right>. belching. <laughs> All right. Go for it. Okay. So, Flash Topic FMMPEG 4.0 Woo is a new major release, is now available. With too many updates to mention, the team strongly recommends users, distributors, and system integrators to upgrade unless they use current Git Master. And the source is from the FM. MPEG site. Yeah, this has all yeah. kinds of improvements with the encoders, with the you know, the NVIDIA encoder and everybody else, you know, so definitely look look into it if you're using FFmpeg for uh for your regular use, make sure you're running 4.0. There you go. Woo. For all for all of your transcoding needs. Transcode, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're using handbrake, use it. <laughs> and our next flat bleh, our next flash topic is Ubuntu 18.04 LTS this week. The latest LTS release from Canonical is due this week. The alpha and beta vi- builds have been solid. Looking forward to reviving the 17.10 shack box. Oh, that was the 18. My dot, yeah, to 18.04 <laughs> as soon as possible. Yeah, I was like, who is re- who is doing this? My shack box is doing 17.10. <laughs> so Bill's looking forward it's also to doing that. Re- revving, not revving. reviving. I don't oh, know. sorry. Bill, Bill's like making up words <laughs> Resuscitating now. Resuscitating so. well, it, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Sorry. So, so the question is, is anybody going to upgrade? Over on the OMG Ubuntu page, there's a poll going right now just for that question. 
Yeah, let's uh, let me look at the OMG results. Ubuntu. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what the results say. So far, forty nine percent say they're going to upgrade and install as soon as possible, and then thirty eight percent or thirty almost thirty nine percent say they'll follow uh, shortly thereafter as soon as there's a point release. And then, and, about, and where's the rest of the people? And, yeah, the, <laughs> the rest of the people are undecided. The eleven percent says they're, they're yeah, they're not no plans to upgrade or install. But they've had fifteen thousand yeah. votes, so that's a pretty good swap. Oh, wow. Yeah. So OMG, OMG, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love when we see poll you know results here, and it's like you know thirty four percent voted for you know person A and. 37% voted for person B and I'm and like 61% voted for yeah. person Z. Yeah, well no no, but there there's no 61%. It's just like, uh where's the rest of yeah. the people? Well, those are <laughs> people who didn't vote yeah. clearly. Yeah. All right, very good. A couple of quick flash topics. So, this is a something I saw and it was kind of unusual to see something posted in a local news site. Um the link to it of course will be in the show notes and this is about an event coming up. Um, which would have been useful last week, but I only saw it today. Uh, but it also references open source and the government, so I thought I would throw it in here. It says, learn about code.gov. Uh, the U.S. government has a department looking to spread open source projects, and members will be in Baltimore this week. Code.gov is looking to promote reuse of open source code within the government to cut down on duplicating development work and spread use of the code throughout the country. On April 26th, uh, the event at Spark Baltimore uh, will feature talks from the invited guests about what they're working on and federal source code policy, as well as how it can apply locally. This could be a great way to introduce code.gov to the community and open the conversation for how localities can use code.gov and other open source software for local governments. And the event is free. So it's also like really short. It's like three hours. It's uh, embedded in the uh, the whole Spark Baltimore thing. Oh, wait. It's, uh, it's run by the government. It's, it's not free. You actually paid for it already. Well, of course yeah, you yeah. did. Right. So you should show up because you paid for it. Yeah. Right. If you're anywhere near Baltimore and you want to learn about how code.gov can spread open source to your municipality, you might want to check this out. And if nothing else, check out code.gov and see what the government is doing with open source anyway. Always a good thing. Uh, I think there was some mention about uh, security issues and things like that that were going to be addressed by speakers. Uh, so that's always a, something worth talking about when it comes to the government and software. So there you go. Yeah, they have another site, too, that actually just has the code and stuff like that, I think. Is that just code.gov? I can't remember. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think Obama actually started this. Um, so you could uh, take a look at all the projects and uh, what they're working on and stuff like that. And, you know, right. it's, it's kind of interesting. It, it's it's. They got quite a few. I mean, they have uh, 1,000 projects on there right now. So uh, (laughs) there's quite a bit of code out there. You know, this is the people's code. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Again, you paid for this code probably at a very high uh, contract rate. Not quite as high as mine, but pretty high. (laughs) Go see Judge Wapner in the people's code. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Ah, uh, excellent. Is he still alive? I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember watching that show like a long time ago. What was that in the eighties? <laughs> yeah, probably the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. Uh no, he just recently died. How about that? February twenty seventeen. Wow. He was ninety seven. Wow. Amazing. 
I feel old now. <clears throat> you feel old? He was 97. Yeah, I mean, you know, but he wasn't, he didn't look that bad back then, you know, maybe. No, no, no. It's like well, there 40, you go. 40 years ago. <laughs> so, all right. So, moving on, we're going to talk about Linux in the ham shack. What would we do Ooh. that for? I don't know. <laughs> maybe just because it's what the show is called? But yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, I, don't I, was, know. I found this project. I know we've, I think we've mentioned it before, maybe. And I couldn't remember um, if this was like useful for what you're doing with IRLP and everything else. But I thought I would mention it here. The Mumble RF project is a, a patched version of the Mumble voice chat software, the software we're actually using right now to uh, have this conversation and record the podcast. Um, it's uh, for use with two-way transceivers, ham radio, CB, PMR. Is that PMR, really? Uh, public mobile radio, I guess. And others. Uh, the software allows to connect two-way radio transceivers to mumble murmur servers in order to extend the range of uh, radio frequency communications, which I guess would be very similar to IRLP, uh, IRLP and Echolink. Um, I guess if you know this is your uh, your linking uh, way or whatever, uh, it's 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 different. Yeah, so it's basically patched up so it can run with like you know handling squelch and and everything else. So. Uh, yeah, if you're looking for an alternative to uh, some other kind of linking software for the audio path, um, check out this Mumble RF. Uh, the link is in the show notes, and it's at GitHub. That sounds cool. I might have to actually investigate this myself since I'm doing a little bit of stuff involving linking repeaters and uh, RF nodes together via VOIP. Yeah, yeah that certainly sounds like another interesting way to do it. It kind of felt relevant. It is relevant. How, how fantastic is that? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so I didn't really have anything else to contribute to the show tonight, so I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about my upcoming IRLP project. I haven't really done a radio project in a really, really long time. Uh, but I was mentioning, you know, after doing all this work with SVX Link and QTEL and getting my system set up here and doing all of that, um, I remembered that I wanted to eventually set up an IRLP node. Uh, so I went and started looking at the IRLP hardware, and it turns out the stuff is not free, and at least as far as my pocketbook is concerned, not terribly cheap. So uh, I, I made some noises about that in the chat room or something other, and uh, Don KC9ZMY says, oh, I've got this thing, this IRLP node in a box, and uh, I'm never going to use it. So... I said, well, um, greatest fan of our podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, what can I do to convince you to send that my way? And he's like, I don't know. Tell me what your address is. I was like, well, if it's that easy. (laughs) Well, you didn't have the call book? Come on. (laughs) I'm not even sure I told him I was like (laughs) good in in the book, but. Uh, Either way, uh, he was uh, kind enough to donate the IRLP hardware. It was the kind designed by the, I forget what the actual name of the project is, but it's the IRLP that's designed for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, It's actually connected uh, via a GPIO harness, um, but the rest of it, you know, is is the same as the regular thing. So it's the IRLP board, uh, the connectors that go to a rig, at least the nine pin uh, serial connector part of it and the GPIO part that connects to uh, a Raspberry Pi. So uh, I had to get the rest of the stuff. So I kind of wanted to just kind of run down what I'm doing or what what parts I've acquired so far. And I'm actually going to try and do this as a YouTube video. 
or a series of YouTube videos where I'm actually filming my putting this whole thing together. But I figured I'd put this out here in case someone could remind me of something I might have forgot. That's always useful. Uh, but the things I've ordered for it is I've got a big project box because I'm using an ICOM IC2100H uh, as my rig for this, which I'm actually going to have to do some modification on because IRLP requires carrier-operated squelch to work, and the ICOM2100H does not expose carrier-operated squelch uh, through any of its external interfaces. Not that it has any of those anyway. Uh, so I'm going to have to actually go in and solder a wire on there. So I'm going to have to do you know, a bit of soldering to connect the uh, RJ45 pins that are necessary for the TX audio, uh, the speaker connection for the RX audio, uh, the carrier-operated squelch connection, and the ground. And I think there's a uh, oh, push-to-talk, of course. So um, I ordered a solder station, a uh, helping hands thing, a third arm or a third hand, whatever you call those things. Uh, so I've got one of those because soldering is not my thing. <laughs> so this, this ought to be interesting. Uh, that part should be a lot of fun. You might watch me burn up a, a mobile rig. Don't burn yourself. Uh, please don't do that. <laughs> uh, well, not in the house anyway. We'll see what happens. Uh, so I've got the project box. It's a good size one. Um, it's about a foot by 10 inches by about uh, six inches tall because I am going to put the whole thing in this. Um, I've got um, the solder, the soldering gun, the soldering station. I ordered pass-throughs, so I can put pass-throughs through the walls of the project box for the Ethernet, uh, the power connector. And was there another thing? I don't think there was another thing. Oh, anten- was it antenna power connector? Was it- oh, and Ethernet. Antenna power connector, Ethernet. Yes, so those are the three things. Uh, those are going to pass through the box. Um, I've got... A converter uh, from 12 volt to 5 volt so that a single power connection can power the rig, the IRLP board, the Raspberry Pi all at the same time. Um, what the hell else did I get for it? Uh, some 9 pin uh, uh, ends because I'm going to have to solder all those connections together because yeah, they come from various parts of the radio. Uh, and that should be most of it, I think. I think there was another something that I'm getting. Um, <clears throat> But the idea is to have the whole thing totally self-encapsulated so you can just take this whole IRLP node as a unit to wherever you happen to want to use it. And then without even opening the box, you can screw the antenna connector to it. You can plug in the 12-volt DC, and you can pass Ethernet out if you need to, but it will also have Wi-Fi. So that will be to get into uh, the Raspberry Pi for programming and also for connecting it to the internet, which will be necessary for actually passing the audio back and forth between nodes. And that will will be possible with uh, Ethernet or Wi-Fi. So that is an upcoming project. And like I said, I hope to have the entire thing done uh, as a YouTube video series coming up. So if anybody can think of something that I may have forgotten in all of that, that would be great. Uh, Because once I start diving into this... um, I'm sure I'm going to get like three quarters of the way through and go, oh, crap, I need this. Um, But yeah, so if anybody has any ideas, that's great. And if you want to follow that, check out the YouTube channel. It will be on the Linux in the Hamshack YouTube channel when I get start filming everything, which should be soon. Um, We do have some uh, events coming up here locally, which are going to keep us from recording next Monday, which is the 30th of April. So there will be no live show on April 30th. 
Just wanted to throw that out there. Now, uh, we will be doing a show on, uh, what is it, May 3rd, Thursday. Mm-hmm. And that will be when yeah. we have our extra special super surprise secret, secret guest. Yes. Super secret. Super secret. Yes. So super just secret. <laughs> keep, keep, uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> Um, and watch for the IRLP project. And if anyone has any input on the IRLP project or anything they'd like to see or something like that, or hardware suggestions or whatever, uh, just send them my way. So mm-hmm. cool. And speaking of YouTube, and I realize I I always like throw these random <laughs> random uh, feedbacks <laughs> that I happen to receive in personal email into the podcast, no matter where I'm at. Um, but it was relevant. Uh, I had an email the other day. From uh, OH1H or KH, OH1KH, his name Saku. And uh, he's the one that told me originally that uh, he watched all the videos and w- wanted me to rename them so they could be easily searched and stuff like that on our channel, which we did. Uh, he sent me an email just two days ago, though. He says, Peter, uh, Peter over there at um, CQR Log just released a beta version of CQR Log two days ago um, and has quite a few changes, especially with with regards to WSJT uh, X remote and uh, also uh, also to uh, look at that XML RPC that uh, I didn't cover very well in our videos. <laughs> so, uh, so he sent me some, some test videos um, that he did, but he's like, uh, I'm wondering if you could make better videos based on my poor one. So, <laughs> <laughs> I told like, him I check them out. Uh, I just downloaded sure. them, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to those. And uh, I've been wanting to redo that anyway. That uh, that FL Digi because I kind of just breezed through it real quick, and I uh, didn't really get into uh, the meat and potatoes of that that XML RPC interface and stuff like that. So I think uh, I'll upgrade my box here at home, my uh, on uh, 1804 as soon as it uh, is final, and uh, I'll probably do a quick video of that. And then I'll uh, I'll start working on these other two videos and hopefully have those out before uh, before uh, Hamvention. Well, you have all kinds of stuff on your plate for Hamvention, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get videos <laughs> done, get the distro done. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about that distro thing. I'm just, like I say, I'm not having good luck with Debian. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking uh, they actually have a 32-bit build of uh, Ubuntu. And uh, <laughs> Ooh, the evil Ubuntu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was actually loading that up, uh, you know, today and uh, seeing what it takes. And it's, uh, you know, at least to get the live distribution working, it's uh, it's not much. Uh, and I know it'll actually work because it's Ubuntu. <laughs> I'm thinking Russ tried to futz with Debian a little bit to build something a couple of years ago and had issues with it, it. It was a while back, and I did have problems, yeah. but we'll. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do something. I don't know if there's going to be something ready for Hamvention, but we'll, you know. Yeah, if I can get it done this weekend, then I think we'll have enough time to send it over to uh, to Ted, not Ted, Don, right? Uh, Don's doing Don, it. KB2YSI. KB2YSI, yeah, he's going to be burning the uh, discs for us. If I can get that ISO over to him, then uh, then hopefully we'll do that. Otherwise, it will probably be the uh, just Ham Radio Pure Blend from Debian, but I'm not sure they've even updated that for 9.0. I think it's still 8.5. Uh, I think it still is. So, but we're going to try and be as close to current as we can. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. If if we have to do that one, then we'll we'll give you a link to a script that you can run to get everything updated. 
<laughs> there you go. Yep. There you go. We could definitely do yeah, that. Yeah, we, we can give you a little piece of paper with some links. On or <laughs> no, no, no. We'll, we'll, get a we'll do better to a bash that. script, yeah. and we'll put we'll check that into a GitHub or something like that, and then it'll be able to get you upgraded. Very cool. So yeah. it will be a really good time for us at Hamvention and for you too. Anyone who stops by the booth, we're going to have uh, a considerable set of upgrades from last year. So you'll want to stop by and check it out, and we want to see you. So please do that. If yep. nothing else, you should see our car with all the stuff packed in it, because I'm wondering if there's going to be any room for us once well, we get it really packed. Only, we're the only ones who go to convention with cars packed full of crap. You're mistaken. Yeah, well, but. somebody's going to drive the car, and I'm not sure the boxes can drive. But well, well, at least you don't have to pick me up this time. That's, well, that's true. true. That is true. <laughs> there's always then you gotta figure out where to put all that crap in that one seat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I oh, still crap. remember. Can you sit on the hood or something? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe the roof? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I still remember last year, Russ, like, shuffling stuff going, I think we've got enough room for Bill now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wow, okay, well, he's got, like, a sliver of a seat to sit in. He'll be good. <laughs> he's fine as awesome. long as he only brings one suitcase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he should have flashed her with a backpacker. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty so, much yeah. just a backpack. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So very good. I think we're down to the end here. So very good. Um, and we have a social media roundup. However, we got to talk about all those people who support us, which we try and do as much as possible. So Cheryl, let's uh, let's hear who these people are. All right. Well, this time for our Patreons, we have John Spriggs, Steve Sainer, Donald Gover, Robert Pitts, Paul Griffith. Jonas Rulo, John Zaruba Jr., Samuel Vines, Steve Metcalf, Chris Beggio, and Darren King. For subscriptions, we have uh, excuse me, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Weekman, Stephen Harp, Charlie Brown, Kevin Murray, Wayne Carpenter, Doug Redder, Bill Piotr, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Michael Aiello, Robert Halliday. Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. On Facebook, we have Ricky Patterson, Brian Bo, uh, Bochamp, or Bocamp, not sure how they pronounce that, uh, Fumzel Lewine, I'm guessing on that one too, Mickey Coro and Ryan Russell, no one on Google+. On Twitter, we had at Flapperon. At Code Possum and at 3ZAW or DW3TRZ. On YouTube, we had PK Crowen and Fox Nakamori. Mailing list Mike N7QXW and no merchandise sales. All right. So there we go. Uh, thanks for everybody for supporting us in whatever way you can do that. Even if it's just listening, we, we enjoy our listeners. That's why we do this every week. So with that, I think we are going to wrap up the show and we are actually working on some new merch type stuff. If we ever get our little device working with its Bluetooth problems and all of that, but that's the story for another day. So with that, did you do the uh, shout out to the chat? Oh, we have done the shout out to the chat room. Yes. So uh, we also had in the chat room listening to us live tonight, Dave KB zero O W D Don Casey nine Z M Y Ted W A zero E I R Paul K E five W M A. And Harry underscore, who came and went, but he was there. He was anybody there. else? <laughs> was there somebody else? Anybody else show up after uh, you did the list? Nope. That was the last one, I believe. All righty then. Yeah. I mean, there are more people in the chat room. They, they, they don't, don't talk, talk, so we don't know they're there. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> if they'd like raise their hands or wave or I don't know, shout out yeah. or whatever. Now, granted, some of them are in completely different time zones, right. <laughs> which are not really compatible to our live recording because it's like the middle of the night right now or, or tomorrow yeah, or tomorrow or, or whatever or tomorrow <laughs> or yesterday. I don't know the dates, whatever. <laughs> all right. So thanks to everybody for listening to the show and we will catch you all uh, not next Monday, but next Thursday, May 3rd. So with stay tuned for that guests. with the secret guests. Yes. That's right. So with that, we're all going to get on out of here. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MO. I saw you reach for your, your, no, your no, pads. I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for you. <laughs> and I'm uh, Bill, NE4RD73. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. Linux in the Ham Shack and the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.